If you open your Bibles to John chapter 12, we're going to be beginning the 37th verse of John 12. <clears throat> if I had to ask you a question this morning, what would, be, what would you say if you knew the last time you could address your family, this church, your co-workers, what would be the things you would choose to talk about? Probably something very, very important, something very vital, and you would pray memorable. We have been spending the last five weeks, this is the sixth week, in the last week of Jesus' ministry. And you'll notice that we're only in the 12th chapter of John, and there's 20 chapters in John, and he spends a majority of his writings discussing the last week of Jesus' life. And the text we're in today, John chapter 12, is the last public presentation of Jesus outside of his disciples. This will be the last time he talks to a general crowd, to the Pharisees. Everything else recorded following this is all related right to his disciples in a very intimate setting. And so when we read this, it's what I've told both services. It's just one direct truth. And it's, it's given by John and Jesus. John in his preamble and Jesus in his words. And it's one that we can't miss. I wish it were more exciting or more varied, but deep down inside, what the Lord has given us in this text is one simple truth that changes everything for all of us. It's a truth that affects every single one of us. We're in Wednesday of the final week of Jesus' life. Many things have preceded this. The entry into Jerusalem, a conversation with some Greeks who wanted to ask him who he was, a widow giving a small offering at the local temple, multiple parables, Judas betraying Jesus to, the, uh, to those seeking his death. All of this has taken place when we get to these words that John records in John chapter 12, verse 37. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. For this reason they could not believe because as Isaiah said elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw God's glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, even many among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out on this, of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. I'm going to make two points. They're parallel. First is this. Our encounters with truth are not meaningless. Now I know on a Sunday morning for you to have, have gotten yourself around and come to a place of worship that's all about Jesus and to sing songs and gather together and encourage one another that this life we're living for Christ is worth it. For me to say to you something like, the truths that we encounter in Jesus are not meaningless may seem to some of you as um, unnecessary. But I do believe they're necessary and I'd like to, to build my statement why. Not to justify this message, but to show you the importance of this truth. We live in a country where the availability of God's word for us is ridiculously abundant compared to everywhere else in the world. You could have seen, I looked on the, uh, the TV guide thing, you could have seen three or four sermons this morning before you ever got to church. You can get podcasts of your favorite and least favorite preachers. You can listen to four or five podcasts a day. You can get online. You can see videos of other congregations. You can get the word of God read to you on an MP3 right through your smartphone or your device or even through now through your car. 
You can have CDs or tapes, whatever venue or, or means you want. You can have the word of God all around you. Yet the word of God says that if we don't open ourselves up and respond to it, hearing it doesn't change a thing. We hear so much of God's word. We hear it regularly. We hear it from different sources. And we decide in our culture because there's such an abundance of it that I believe many of us make the mistake of saying, well, one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it for myself and I'm going to process it. And that's a dangerous thing because none of our encounters with the truth are meaningless. I think the Bible makes it clear. When John says in his frustration, they saw all these miracles. They saw water turned into wine, the healing of the blind, the leper, the crippled, the deaf, the mute, and the dead. And John said they saw all of these these things happen, and they chose not to believe. Now, it, it doesn't say they couldn't believe. It says they wouldn't. All of the evidence, all of the truth, all of the opportunities we've been talking about for three weeks now, and they chose not to honor them. John said this in writing this book, the gospel of Jesus, as John recorded it. In John chapter 1, verse 11, John said, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. They did not accept what he offered them. Peter says in Acts 3, 24, Peter's quoted as saying, indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. The Old Testament has prophesied over and over what Jesus would do, and he did. And in spite of all the evidence, John said they chose not to believe. And some of them did believe, but then they chose not to ever admit it because they cared more about what man thought of them than what God thought of them. John says we have a problem. All of the unmistakable prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. And here's why. I guess the easiest way for me to put it is simply this. When God walks in the room and you realize you're not God, that either makes you happy or incredibly sad. And John quotes the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, both from chapter 6 and in chapters 52 and 53, where the prophet Isaiah says, when he's given his call in Isaiah 6, he says, well, who will listen to the words of the Lord? And God gives him no promise. In chapters 52 and 53, when he talks about the truth of this, he says, there, there will be some that will become hardened when God speaks truth and some that will become softened. And that's not what God does. That's what we do with it. Once again, when God walks in the room and you know he's God, some are happy and some are devastated. And the Old Testament prophecies say when the word of God goes out, you either open your eyes, ears, and heart to it or you close your eyes, ears, and heart. And every time we say no to the word of God at any level, we are hardening ourselves against its truth. This is not a fun teaching, but it is clearly what John wants us to know. That there is no moment we come into the presence of the word of God that we walk away unchanged. There's no neutral ground. And I have to admit, because one of the things I want you to understand is I am, I am a journeyer too. I, I am not so far ahead. of. In fact, I'm ahead of nobody in this spiritual journey of life. By God's grace, I take my steps. But I'll be honest with you. I wonder if you agree. Isn't there an area of every one of our lives where we wish God wasn't right? Shake your head if you're with me on that one. We read this passage. Here's how I read the Bible in my flesh. I read this passage and I go, I don't do that. Neither should they. I read another passage and I go, but I do that. Why can't I? Because God's word is true. 
And every time I come into the presence of God's word and I have the opportunity to respond by faith, when I don't, I hinder my life. And when I do, I experience life. And John says, the Old Testament prophecies were true. The truth of God will come to us and some will walk away and reject it and others will choose it. And that's not because of what God does. That's what we do when God arrives. Because otherwise he would forgive us. In Romans chapter one, Paul explains it so simply. Paul says that when we see God and we don't respond to God with faith, there's a progression. It's found in Romans 1, 18 through 32. You can write that down uh, if you want to look this up later. I encourage you to because the progression is we go from misunderstanding and lack of trust to ridicule, to anger, and to death. Notice what's happening in our country with the word of God. It's gone from believing it could be true to ridiculing anybody who thinks it's true to anger at those that choose to live by it to ultimately the death of a nation. Because the word of God will not lower itself or change itself to public, or to public opinion. We're never going to vote on whether God's right. He's right. When God walks in a room, either you're happy he's there or you're upset you're not God. And John said it was all around. Judas had already decided to betray Jesus. Verse 37, they would not believe. Because of that in verse 39, they could not believe. And verse 40 shows us what happens when they won't believe. Let there be no mistake. To be a follower of Jesus will cost you everything and you'll have no regrets. But to follow Jesus partially will be your greatest regret. Because you can't take parts of the word of God and reject others. You can't read through it as a buffet and say, well, I'm not eating vegetables today. There's too much good stuff. All of God's word is relevant to every part of who we are. And it's only by faith. So there's no opportunity for us to encounter the truth and be unchanged. In fact, the Bible so speaks of this. Let me just give you three sections of scripture that show you that it's not just John. That it's throughout all scripture that our encounters with the word of God are not meaningless. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Open up to the opportunity he's giving you today. Hebrews 12, 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? In this writing of Hebrews, comparing Jesus to all of the things they used to put their confidence, he says, how much more should we have confidence in the one who came from heaven to speak to us truth? And John records, while you have light, believe in the light. Every opportunity to respond in faith to God's commission is a step toward becoming whole and becoming alive and changing everything. And every moment that we read the word of God and we sit in our personal sin and we decide that even though he saved me from my sin, I am going to continue to live however I want and do whatever I want. As a pastor, I am obligated by the word of God to tell you that is the most dangerous game you can ever play. Don't play chicken with God. Because you're betting that he doesn't mean what he says and his scriptures are clear, he means everything he says. And that game of chicken, you're gonna end up dead. And you're gonna lose the life he came to bring. Verse 44 through 46. 
John gives us all that setup, and then Jesus says these words, his last public teaching. Then Jesus cried out, when a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Our second point this morning is this, our encounters with truth form our faith. Every chance we have to see the word of God, respond to the word of God in faithfulness, forms our faith. And every time we walk away from the word of God and say, I don't like that, I don't want to change me, I don't want to live differently, that changes our faith too. Jesus said, you know, there there are those who contend, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but there are people teaching today and preaching that, that Jesus never said he was God. That there's no passage of scripture where he says he was God. And so you don't have to believe everything Jesus says because he never said he was God. Yet I contend with you, how can you read verses 44 through 46 and misunderstand what he's saying? He's saying, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what I'm telling you came directly from him. Seems to me he's calling out that he's got some insight we don't. In fact, John would never forget this because when John wrote his first letter to the churches, and we call it 1 John... His first letter to the churches, he wrote these words, no one who denies the son has the father and whoever acknowledges the son has the father also. So to say that Jesus isn't God and he's not true in what he's offered us is to reject the father who sent him. And we understand that on a human level, don't we? If you have children, you understand that when someone is cruel to your children, you you take a personal affront to that. Yet when someone's a blessing to your children, you feel blessed even though you may not have received any of the blessing. Jesus said, I come on behalf of my father and he take, he's taking seriously what I'm offering him. You may have heard this before, but if you think about who Jesus is, in this last public statement where he's saying, my, my truth is from God, then there's only three ways you can see Jesus. Some of you have heard this before. Either Jesus was a false teacher Because he knew that he was lying. Or he was self-deceived and mentally ill. Because he actually thought he was God and he wasn't. Or he was exactly who he said he was. As it's been said before, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. But if he is Lord, then you can't call him a liar or a lunatic. You can't say that this meant something and now this doesn't. You can't say that the truth he brought from the Father is no longer relevant, no longer applicable. I live in the age of grace. I don't have to honor God with my life. You don't have to honor God with your life, but why wouldn't you? If he is who he said he is, and he did all that eyewitnesses account, the death on the cross, the resurrection from the grave, then I'm going to write off liar and lunatic, and I'm going to make him my Lord. Because that's the only reasonable option For the evidence. Remember John's opening line? I can't believe with all these people saw that they would not choose to believe. Verses 47 through 50. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world but to save it. And last week, if you were with us, you remember that he said that the Father doesn't judge but he sends the Son to judge. Did Jesus contradict himself here? You might see it that way, but listen to verse 48 when he clarifies. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. 
For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Did you notice what Jesus just did here? And have I told you it's his last public statement? He says, I will come back in judgment, but it will not be I who judges. It will be the truth that I have given you that will judge you. The words of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, and the power of the scripture will either free you or condemn you, and you get to choose. It's another opportunity. Two weeks ago, we talked about the parable of the talents, where God gave five to one and two to another and one to one, and all of them had an opportunity to be a blessing to their master. Last week, we talked about the judgment where Jesus said, when you have showed mercy and compassion to one of the least of these, you have loved me well. All of these opportunities in front of us. Jesus is grasping this moment in time, in the middle of the worst week of his life. He's grasping this moment. He's saying, trust what I'm telling you because God will break no promises he's given you. And my words will judge you when I return. Not by how obedient you were, But what did you do when you were disobedient and you heard the truth of God? Did you turn and repent? Or did you continue on the path of saying, I like this part of Jesus, but I don't like him here so much? It's the challenge. Jesus was speaking with an authority that either repels men or draws all men to himself. And the difference between those that walk away from Jesus and those that walk into Jesus are their belief that he is God. And he's never told us a lie. So is he drawing you or repelling you? Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. I don't know if you've seen this text before. I find it rich. It either echoes the words of Jesus or Jesus is echoing its words. Proverbs 1 verses 20 through 33. In this, as Proverbs are apt to do, they talk about wisdom. And in the Hebrew mind, wisdom was God. It wasn't from God. It was his truth. It was his presence, his life, and his hope. Proverbs 1.20. Wisdom calls aloud in the streets. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. But since you rejected me when I called and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand, since you ignored all my advice and would not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they will eat of the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. And hold on here because verse 33 is the gospel. It's the good news. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Doesn't that Proverbs 1 sound like our world today? We will not listen to the word of God, will not open ourselves to the word of God, and each time we do, our hearts become hardened, our ears become closed, and our eyes begin to not see. And wisdom calls out in the street, and in the places of politics, and in the schools, and in the home, and it calls out for obedience. 
And we say, no, I don't want to hear you. No, I don't want to listen. No, I don't want to obey. And we become harder and harder until calamity crushes us. And God's word does not promise that all of us escape calamity. God's word doesn't promise that all of us face or will escape trouble. In fact, it says we all will face it. But the difference is the person who puts their feet on the sand, they get washed away by the flood because they have not lived on truth. They have not placed their life to Jesus. And those who live on Jesus Christ and his eternal power and authority, let the waves come. They will knock us down, but it will not sweep us away. And we will stand up again on truth and hope. His last grand statement to anyone who would listen was, I'm not playing. I've told you the truth. Trust me. Trust me, he says. Because he is the word of life. Jesus didn't say good things. Jesus was the best of all things. By his authority and words, he holds everything together. There is nothing made that he did not have a part of and nothing that will be taken out that he will not have ultimate control over. He is life. He is hope. He is power and he is truth. So every time we open the word of God together, it's not optional whether or not we agree. It doesn't matter whether it changes your comfort or your position. The truth is the truth, and we should walk into the truth. John was in love with the imagery of light and darkness. When you read any of John's writings, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation, the power of light and darkness was a theme. Jesus said, I came as the light of God to dispel the darkness. I don't know how you feel. When I was a little kid, I didn't like being in a dark room by myself. I had a nightlight. When I got older, my brothers made fun of my nightlight. I would turn the bathroom light on in the hallway and leave my door open. I just wanted to have a little bit of light because I didn't like in the darkness. But spiritually, as I've gotten older, I've found, unfortunately, that I like the dark because no one can see what I'm really doing and becoming. And Jesus said, no, I came to dispel the dark. Isn't it funny? When I was five years old, I wanted a nightlight. But if you would have turned that same light on in my room at 4 a.m. this morning, I might have cursed you. Because sometimes we get just too comfortable in the dark. And we don't want the light to expose our blemishes and our scars and our pain and our darkness and our hungers and our fears. Jesus taught this. Because when the truth comes in... It may be a horrible experience to apply the truth to us. It may hurt and take away so many things about ourselves that we've become too comfortable with. But when it's done, it heals forever. As your pastor, I need to say this, and then I'm going to be done. You can't come into the presence of the Word of God without accepting it or rejecting it. You're either saying, yes, sir, or I think I'll pass. But there's no... I need time. I need to ponder. I need to wonder. I'm going to work on this, and then one day I'll get to that. No, every time you come into the presence of God, he's not looking for perfection. He's looking for surrender. Around this room are tables that have lamps on them, and we do that intentionally so that you know where to go. The light imagery is beautifully prominent in all of Scripture. Some of you today have never, you're assessing Jesus. You're pondering Jesus. What does the evidence tell you? Liar, lunatic, or Lord? Because if he is your Lord, I'm going to ask you today to make that decision. To go to these tables and ask those response people that are at the response tables. Ask them the question, what do I need to do 
to submit myself to the lordship of Jesus Christ and his truth. And we'll show you what the Bible says. And for the rest of us who have been followers of Jesus, I ask you today, will the truth set you free or do you just want to ponder the truth? Because it's the difference between life and death. It's between calling him Lord and being grateful to see him return and walking away to a life you make for yourself because the word of God has spoken. His name is Jesus. Let's stand together and sing.